Welcome to the Yucatastrophe, where we meander through politics, pop culture, church, and society to consider true human ends and how life may be enchanted. I'm Joel Harrison, joined as always by Dave Taylor. And I realized something over the course of our two other episodes going into 2020. At the end of 2019, we made promises, things were said, (laughs) commitments were sort of made and half-hearted gestures towards a potential episode on Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Uh, then bushfires happened. <laughs> <laughs> we had our second child, daughter Antigone. But more to the point, even though David and I went and saw Rise of Skywalker more than once, <laughs> it's probably fair to say that we are still trying to wrestle with the deep heartache that it precipitated. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're going to do an episode on how J.J. Abrams just robbed us of all our dreams. Mm. Maybe we will, but Dave, maybe just the people are probably wanting to know something. Mm. I um, I have unsubscribed from a lot of my Star Wars YouTube channels. I've it actually like I I hate it when people talk about this, but I think it retroactively ruined my enjoyment of all the preceding films. Wow. Because um, it was like, oh, it was so bad. It was just so bad. And, like, I tried to defend it mentally for a while, but it just didn't make any sense. And it was the culmination of the entire saga that that rendered everything else before it I meaningless. Know. I know. I know. It's just that's what I mean. It's hard. The only response. Where is God in this? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody is asking that question. <laughs> Who is going to pick up my broken tears and put me back together? <laughs> where's, where's, where's the Australian Christian lobby yeah. on Why this Why aren't they on this? Yeah. Oh. You know, and I, I, it hurts me to say these things. And look, there are moments in that film where I go... Every ship's a Death Star. <laughs> Every ship is a Death Star. <laughs> they find uh, the bloody thing using a compass on yeah. a knife... That's unexplained. 90% of the script is is taken up by reinforcing that Poe isn't gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the point of those other characters? Oh. What is the point? <laughs> and then, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. The Emperor, yeah, sure, he's there. Acceptor, yeah, yeah, he was having some side piece. Adam Driver's good. Yeah, Adam Driver's good. Anyway. Daisy Ridley's uh, good. Daisy Ridley's great. That, they're, they're saving. They're the only thing. No, yeah. they, sh- they needed to just focus on them. Yeah. None of this shouty. Like Ryan Johnson did. Machismo nonsense. Mm. I feel bad about this as well, talking about this in front of our current producer, Tim, because <laughs> it buys into all his prejudices. He's a bad man. Just before we went to air, he asked us, how's that show The Mandarin going? <laughs> <laughs> then he collect, corrected himself to The Mandolin. <laughs> the Mandolin. <laughs> I mean... Why is he even here? <laughs> anyway, we are going to talk about a film that did precipitate, does precipitate questions about where is God and all this. <laughs> but, 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 but in an actually thoughtful and intentional <laughs> way. Yeah. So we're talking about the film A Hidden Life by uh, Terrence Malick, which um, we went and saw. Actually, it was uh, Dave, Tim and I went and saw a little while back in which I managed to stay awake. Which is amazing. For three hours. For three hours. After after 8.30 at night. After 8.30 at night because I'm going to bed and waking up at 5 a.m. these days. Mm. But, yeah, I stayed awake not because of some 
power of my own, but because it was a fantastic film, actually. So we're going to talk about this and, and raise some ideas about the relationship between nature and grace, I think, mm. and understanding of conscience and uh, ideas about how we enter into uh, that kind of conscientious space through a certain openness as well. Mm. But this is a film set during World War II, of course, and it follows the sufferings of Fran Jagerstatter and his family as they face persecution for France's increasingly outspoken descent to Hitler. In particular, you could read this film as well as a romance. In fact, mm. I think that's one of the beautiful things in this film is that it's sort of a romance story without any hint of salaciousness or yeah. anything, right? But it, it's, a, it's a romance story, but it's also romantic. No, yeah, that's what I mean, it's romantic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, romantic to nature, but mm. also there's the beauty of the relationship between Franz and mm. his wife, Francesca, or Franny, right? Mm. They, they just have this absolutely wonderful relationship that goes through tragedy and the tensions of that mm. and the tensions of his objection that takes place, but at the same time, this sort of permeating love mm. that is just palpable on the screen amidst this mm. romantic display of nature as well. So what happens in this film is that it's after the Anschluss, the uh, taking of Austria by Nazi Germany, and the film opens with a little bit of footage from uh, Nazi archives, and but you only get the hints of it, right? It's just this kind of that the, that the fascist oppressors are sort of there in the background mm. working. Um, and then it turns to this village in uh, Austria, uh, which France uh, lives. And he at first does some time in training with the military mm. as they're preparing to invade uh, what would be at that time, I imagine, France or mm. Poland. And um, But he comes to a realization that deep down in his conscience, he can't participate in this war, mm. these acts of aggression. He understands that we, as in the Nazi axis uh, power there, is the enemy. Mm. And in particular, it focuses in on the power of oaths. Mm. Um, so he refuses to take an oath to Hitler. Mm. And what happens is he goes back to his home after doing this initial training, and him and his wife live in this constant and oppressive uh, I guess, fair, mm. as they're trying to get on with their life in the village, that he will be called up to yeah. duty. And, and so they're always flinching at the sound of a bicycle. The bicycle that yeah. comes past with the post. Mm. And it's a beautiful, it's, it's, I mean, I felt, you just, if you see this film, and spoilers abound, of course, yeah. you know, but do see it. Yeah, but you can't really spoil this film. No, no, right? you know yeah. where it's going. Yeah. But as you're sitting in that film, you deeply feel the oppression. Yeah. You know, it's set in this wonderful, beautiful setting in this Austrian valley. Yeah. But you can feel how this authoritarian, fascistic mm. um, body is invading both the village and the personal space and the domicile, mm. the home, mm. right? And so the film is set in this romantic mm. vistas and so on, and at the same time, just that brooding sense yeah. of something that is disrupting <coughs> the tranquility, serenity, yeah. and privacy. But there's also the beauty of the communal life of the village right. isn't there so that it's a it's almost a um communistic approach oh, to production. I, I thought of this film in part as like a love letter to that yeah a love letter to the home and a love letter to um the solidarity between people that is disrupted by this yeah right? that's so, right so he, they're all dependent on each other for yeah production so what happens and, to france is as as it becomes closer and closer to him being called up members of his village in which they are living that communistic communal life of sharing mm. in the threshing of the wheat. They take their wheat to the same miller who then mm. produces it into bread. They go to the same pub together. They all participate in, you know, 
plucking the apples, all this sort of thing, right? Yeah. But as it gets closer to that moment where he can't take that oath, mm. it's clear to his fellow members of his community that he is not on board with this. So they'll walk past him increasingly saying, Hail Hitler, and he will not say as, anything as, in return. And, and that, eventually that culminates in him basically blurting out, fuck Hitler at one point. Yeah, right. And so there's moments where it's like in German and... That's yeah. <laughs> an, an odd part yeah, of the and film, it's actually. not translated, so yeah. those of us yeah. who aren't gifted don't know what's actually been said, so yeah. thank you for translating. Oh. Um, so anyway, so then he is he is, he's, 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 he's progressively alienated from his community until the point where he is actually taken away and he's uh, effectively taken into prison, of mm. course because he refuses to swear this oath, his wife is then left alone with their three daughters and uh, her mother-in-law, Franz's mother. And sister. And also her sister, in order to try and keep this domestic life going in the shadow of his being gone, you're mm. right? And so the village turns against her as well, yeah. largely, although you get these beautiful rays of hope from people yeah. as well that come to her aid. You know, the children, um, there's a one beautiful scene where there's a... Um, a passion procession, mm. and um, is it a passion? It, I think no, it's, it's first communion. Christian. Is that first communion for all the children? Is it? Okay, I can't remember. Let's yeah. just say it's one of yeah. them, right? First communion for the children, and like the her, oh, it's Corpus Christi. Yeah, that was yeah. Corpus Christi. Yeah. So her children are standing on the outside, and the other children want to push them away from participating in this religious feast and the procession. And the priest comes and welcomes them in, and this mm. sort of thing. And there's there's moments like that, but largely they try and push her away and you get the real tension in the mm. film because there's a there's a tragic tension I think we can explore and it's not just loneliness like this is their livelihood as well yeah this is how they, they can't get, produce they can't produce without and the daughters have now yeah. lost their father and, yeah. the, and it's inexorably moves towards his death which happened in 1943 through mm. guillotine mm. and you see these beautiful moments of grace within the prison itself there's a particular mm. figure uh, that he encounters both in his training and mm. in the uh, prison who's kind of like um, a joker figure, isn't it? Yeah. Like a- so he's um, the figure of like the holy fool or the, yeah. the idiot in um, in Russian literature. Yeah. Um, Dostoevsky uses, uh, Dostoevsky has the novel, The, the Idiot. Um, this idea that this this person that has this kind of unmediated, unmediated, unpretentious access to the divine who looks from the outside to be foolish but is in, act, in actual fact is a symbol of the divine presence in the world. Yeah. So then he he has he has moments where people say to him, "Look, just do the oath. You could even go and serve in a hospital." Um, he has he goes to his village priest, and his priest understands the predicament he's in. Mm. But the the clergy in this case, they it's actually quite a sympathetic portrayal, considering we're yeah. dealing with World War Two and uh, Austria and, and Germany, yeah. that they feel bound. Right. They yeah. also see the how the church is being drawn into this pursuit of yeah. evil, and priests are getting executed right. and sent to, away and so sent to concentration and, and the priest says to him, you know, God will know that you don't believe this oath yeah. and think of your family, yeah. right? And this actually raises the tragic tension mm. here. You know, it is these are real goods that he is having to be forced to consider in the face of this oppressor, right? So he has moments where they say this to him, he says, no, I will not, my conscience tells me I simply cannot mm. take this oath. And so he is ultimately um, imprisoned, humiliated, and then, Headed, mm. and then the film finishes with this beautiful quote from George Eliot in uh, Middlemarch, I think it is, uh, where it says, "For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been. It's half owing to the number who faith who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs." Mm. 
Now, I this is only for me. This is only um, I've only of Malik. I've only ever seen um, Tree of Life as mm. well. But I just found this an immensely beautiful mm. and just heart rendering, mm. heart rending film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge <clears throat> Terrence Malick film uh, fan. He's he's an inconsistent filmmaker. Um, there's some films that I think aren't really worthy of him, um, but um, Tree of Life is one of my favorite films of all time. Thin, Thin Red Line is like one of the great. Oh, I have films, seen Thin Red Line um, of all time. I was yeah. a 15 year old and didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the thing about Malik is that he's someone who is having a philosophical conversation with himself. Um, so he's someone that has, he, um, he undertook a doctorate at Oxford, I think, um, uh, on Heidegger. And you can see Heidegger's influence on Malik's ideas and, and his filmmaking uh, throughout the thing. And I think he produced a, a um, translation of being in nothingness, no, being in time, rather, being nothingness is sat. Um, uh and there's there's some kind of constant themes that go on throughout his work, and there there's some there's always some version of an interplay or a tension between the forces of nature and what he calls grace. So, um, and this film is actually quite slightly different. So, to give you an idea of this this idea of nature and grace being tension, it's present kind of throughout all of his films that there's there's this kind of radiance that shines through nature. Um, that is in some way um, providing hope and comfort to the world. Um, and in Tree of Life, the, the story of Tree of Life is basically the story of a family who have experienced a horrible tragedy early on in their life uh, through the loss of a child. And the film seeks to put that suffering into the context of the uh, overabundant goodness in the universe, the capacity of the goodness of creation to overcome, um, while not rendering meaningless suffering, but to overcome even the worst of suffering. And it, it also puts the suffering of individual humans into the context of this beautiful tapestry of um, the history of all creation. Mm. Um, and there's this line in uh, Tree of Life um, at the beginning where it kind of articulates the thesis of the film it says there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, like to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it. And love is smiling through all things. And in Three of Life, these figures are symbolized by an overbearing father and a beautiful, graceful mother. Um, and these forces are presented as a, a tension in the heart of the person whose perspective we're taking throughout the film. Whereas the interesting things, thing about this film is nature in the film is presented as full of grace. Mm. It's actually nature is the redeeming grace present within the film. And so it's hard to describe just with words, but the valley in which the, the family live is just incredibly idyllic and beautiful and, um, and is, it's, it's the kind of backdrop um, of all of their human life. Um, and... But it's not nature in itself, right? Yeah. It's more like nature that is, or people embedded in nature yeah. in this film. So it's beautiful because 
their life. It's, is, it's, it's is, a synchronicity between yeah, the and human integrated and, and the, so on. the non-human and, you world. Know, and there's a, there's a moment even when he's in the prison yeah. and, um, and he wants to try and look outside and there's a suggestion he'd throw himself out. Mm. I, I think it's more that he actually just wanted to look out the window. Yeah. And it's kind of that he wants that continuity of yeah. like seeing to the vistas. Yeah. And that and that's actually that when he, as he tries to look out, the guard comes in and beats him kind of thing. There's a very interesting scene there where the shelf, I don't know if you noticed this when you're watching it, he gets kind of roughed up in his cell and the shelf um, on his wall mm. starts to imitate the valley that he lives in mm. um, and the valley and actually the church as well. Um, because you get the sense with the, you know, these beautiful vistas, like it's just beautifully shot, right, yeah. of this valley and the threshing that takes place yeah. and the waterways and so on. And you just get the sense that um, what's intruding upon it, mm. you know, last week we mentioned uh, uh, Max Weber mm. and his understanding of forces that are impersonal that become like new gods. Right? Yeah. And that sense that the fascistic um, overlords. Yeah. Like they never. They're only it, it seen sort of really, but they start invading, and it's kind of yeah. like this imposition of a force upon what That's is right. synchronistic. Or and it begin the first glimpse that you see of the the kind of um, poison of fascism coming in is actually this absurd figure of the mayor, mm. the mayor of this small village mm. who has these grandiose ideas. It looks Goebbels esque. Um, yeah, and he's he's he goes on these nationalistic rants about the fatherland and Hitler well being done. the saviour. But it's all just, it's absurd because mm. he's this small-time mm. mayor and he becomes kind of one of the points of contact with the fascist system on the life of Franz and they debate um, uh, over these these issues. And this this idea of like the, the and then the, the fascist world, and it is a different world, is, is presented in contrast to the natural world of the valley. And so, you know, when, when Franz is removed from that environment, we see him in this brown and grey um, artificial world. Um, uh, and there's this idea, and it's present in a lot of theorising about totalitarianism, the kind of the total artifice of the totalitarian environment, this, impress, this oppressive dehumanising, denaturing of the totalitarian system. Um, and, and the longing for Franz, even within that system, to live a natural life. Or you, um, yeah, or an open life. Yeah. And that's open to that. Yeah. And so it reminds me of the, the open is a concept that in a lot of, in some German philosophy and, and poetry, um, which which describes this way of being in the world where you can kind of engage directly with nature itself beyond, beyond the layers of historical or legal or political meaning that we put on top of it. Now, I, I know Joel will probably be, resistant to this idea that that we can kind of separate culture and nature in this way. But nonetheless, I think this is something that the filmmakers are alluding to, this idea of an openness, a receptivity to nature as such without um, uh, these, domin- these domineering ideologies. Um, and so this is something Walter Benjamin writes about a lot. There's, there's uh, not a lot. In one very good essay he writes about this, this desire to have a mere life a life outside of life's subjugation to law um, as a resistance to kind of nationalistic um, fascism. But they're not, I mean, your point in nature culture, I take, but in this film he's not absent cultural form in that yeah. there's the beauty as well of the local church. Yeah, right? that's right. And the paintings that and it's actually the, horizons. Just as the and the artist in there is a prophetic voice to him right. as well. So there's both the, the more simple man that he meets in, 
prison as a, as a, a prophetic voice to him. Then there's the artist who paints the icons um, on the wall. I suppose they're not icons, but also presents this kind of the real Christ to people beyond the comfortable or comforting Christ. Well, he that says, they I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo on his head. Someday I'll paint the true Christ. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's the artist that is the, he's, he's, he, he does the job that the priest ought, ought to have done for him. Mm. Uh, it's the, 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 the simple man and the, um, the artist. I was reminded of this, this poem from Rilke and I, I'm almost certain that Malik must have been reading this while he was making this film. So there's a stanza from the Eighth Elegy by um, Rilke, the German poet. It says, the, creatures, the creature gazes into openness with all its eyes, but our eyes are as if they were reversed and surrounded it everywhere like barriers against its free passage. We know what is outside us from the animal's face alone since we already turn the young child round and make it look backwards at what is settled, not that openness that is so deep in the animal's vision. So this idea that we don't ever want to look directly at the world itself. We always want to be interpreting um, and, and imposing meaning on it. Um, and I think there is something very um, powerful in this idea that, n- that that nature offers these kind of resources that if we kind of were truly attentive to nature, there would be grounds for resistance to, um, yeah, violent ideologies. Well, I'm going to throw you a bone on this now. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of your... Your boy Rowan Williams on that you've said a number of mm. times on bird watching. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, but um, it, it, bird watching being a form of meditation or attentiveness, mm. where you're waiting for this kind of grace to burst into view um, at any moment. And in this film, it is. You yeah. know, you've got this attention to this beauty, and it's just. And then it, but it's it's not absent politics. So, for example, there are people who are banished from it uh, yeah. in the film. They look like they're. You know whether they're gypsies or whatever people outcast by the yeah, Nazis. I always they're... thought, yeah, I presumed that were Jewish people. Yeah, that or were... Jewish, and they've been outcast, yeah. right? And then, but it is this sort of attention that can take place, and 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 it both can either lift you to grace, or in this film, which I think does quite well, has its sense of impending oppression yeah. as well, because it is being the domicile, the village, the natural habitat is mm. being invaded by these fascistic structures. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I. I find it very interesting as well how reasonable the objections to Franz are in the film. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the, the sense that um, I think the film really presents Hannah Arendt's idea of the banality of evil. Well, there there are people that do truly embrace evil in the film, but the, the general sense is that everyone's caught up in this structure where there's expectations um, that you'll do certain things and um, and it everyone's role is to just go along with those structures and Franz throws a, 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 a wrench in the works by resisting. So I find this really interesting because I think as a film, most people watch it and think, oh, of course you resist Nazis, yeah. you know. But actually the problem here is, is that it's truly tragedy in that sense that he's presented with conflicting values yeah, that, that's are, right. that are good. Yeah. So his life with his wife and his children, mm. who he now will have to leave, yeah. is a good thing. The The village itself is a good thing. Yeah. You know, in its 
place potentially having yeah. a certain loyalty to your wider community yeah. can be a good thing. That's right. But the problem is that the tyrant here, so tragedy often arises because a tyrant has rendered these values incommensurable. Yeah, that's right. They've left, yeah. they've, they've placed them outside of a coherent life yeah. and placed them now into competition. Yeah. So I, you know, I love, you know, if you read After Virtue and mm. McIntyre on Sophocles um, and when discussing Antigone, right? Um, my old child's namesake now, right? Mm. You know, but Antigone has this beautiful line in Sophocles' play at the end where she has this doubt. Mm. You know, Antigone is this figure of the tension between do I obey temporal authority or the edict of the gods mm. and bury my father? And she ends her life yeah. dead in a cave after hanging herself being condemned to death, right? Yeah. And as she goes to that cave, she's uncertain yeah. as to whether she's actually adopting the right yeah. posture. So she has this line where she says, why should I look to the gods in my misery? Mm. Whom should I summon as ally? If this proceeding is good in the gods' eyes, I shall know my sin once I have suffered. Yeah. Right? So she she thinks, I might be wrong. And yeah, yet that's I, right. And yet I must act upon this conscience, yeah. right? And that tension of the values for her, you know, between the family and the state mm. and the um, edicts of the gods. Yeah. And the same thing here. You know, so I think this is, a fascinating exploration yeah. then of martyrdom. I read one piece from a, a Catholic journal that was quite critical saying, you know, France was, you know, steadfast, he was fervent, he was this. And I thought, okay, I don't, I'm not, I'm not. He doesn't do much God talk in the film. Although when he yeah, does. he does. And so does his wife, right? They, they, I don't think he does as much as what I, some people would want him but to it's, do. But it's, but it's, in that sense, it's kind of like the realist, uh, you know, it has, it has its place mm. in Christian narrative, yeah, obviously, yeah. to the sense of the agony mm. that comes about through one's calling, in this case, yeah. to a quiet martyrdom. Yeah. And it's, so the, the reasons given for him not to do it is like no one will, you think, he, like, you know, he's told, you know, you think you're taking some sort of stand here, but no one's going to know. Mm. So, like, what good are you doing? And, like, it's not going to change a single thing. So there's a pragmatic argument or a utilitarian argument against his martyrdom where everyone is, demand, like, you know, begging him not to and his hand life, himself and, in. And, historically and that kind of makes sense, right? largely anonymous. Yeah, that's right. Until it was resurrected or until it was discovered by yeah. this um, Catholic conscientious object himself and had to go through and do these interviews with people in Austria and mm. so on and reconstruct the whole story, right? Yeah. So this is truly, that's why hidden life is, yeah. you know, very nail on the head, as yeah. it were. You know, and it raises an interesting question. I think we talked about this once when we looked at um, an iteration of the show another time. We talked about mm. the show Legion and mm. how in, in Christian circles often um, men are given this, young men are given yeah. this narrative that they're going to be a hero. Yeah, that's right. They're going to be just, you know, yeah. just nailing everything and just, you know, exercising gifts and yeah. talents and leading people, whatever, all this sort of stuff. And we said, but actually... Most of life is ordinary, yeah. and most people live an ordinary life and die in obscurity. Yeah, that's right. And and um, exercising virtue can be boring and dull. <laughs> right. Um, so that, we often look to these uh, yeah. figures as for heroes. Yeah. And so we want the what we have. who you know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and this is just someone who. Quietly died. Quietly died. You know, um, it was known to his village yeah. and then died. And so that raises, I mean, I, you know, the same uh, um, thing came across a, a quote from Haurus around martyrdom mm. where he's, he's express, expressly railing against the idea that we treat them as heroes. Mm. He says that they're just simply witnesses to the new time inaugurated by Jesus in which the violence of sin and death has been defeated. Mm. It's not about endurance and yeah. hardship but actually 
reflection of yeah. Christ. I do, it made me think of the film uh, The Silence. Have you seen The Silence about mm-hmm. the Jesuit missionaries to Japan? Oh, no. So that's a fascinating um, meditation on martyrdom because it's, um, I mean, it's similar thematically to what we've just been talking about because um, basically the the church has been wiped out in Japan mm. um, and these missionaries go and serve anonymously um, in, as hermits and give secret masses and things like that. Uh, and it, eventually they're, they're all caught and um, and the Japanese uh, rulers realise these Jesuits aren't going to be um, apostate through suffering. Mm. They have to witness the suffering of other people and so they end up torturing Christian villages in front of them and saying, if you if you mm. um, apostatize, we, that will show mercy to them. And it's this idea of, um, I mean, I've heard one read one article saying it's it's a it's a moral martyrdom. So mm. he, he they they actually end up apostatizing for the sake for the sake of Christ. Mm. Uh, and it's a deeply ambiguous film, mm. but it's this idea of, I mean, I remember Howard is talking about this as well, um, that um, you. <laughs> He talks about how we we are willing, we can imagine killing or dying for our beliefs, but we can't imagine believing something true enough that would let someone else suffer or die for it. Mm. Um, and you've got the similar thing with Franz and his family. So is is his convictions enough to allow, allow for him to allow suffering to happen to those he loves most? Mm. Um, uh, and do they have a deep enough understanding of each other to know that each would not will the other and to also, betray themselves. And also to know that you won't necessarily be valorized. Yeah. So it's only until, was it 1990 or 2007, I think, or when it was um, mm. Pope Benedict um, venerated um, to be beatified as a martyr, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, to know that you won't be lionized as, as, a, as a hero. Mm. I mean, that I think is profoundly challenging mm. to think that you may live a life of obscurity and then, you know, to really profoundly take on the idea the, the idea of saints only known to God. Yeah, that's right. You know, those people who just live an ordinary life, mm. common virtues or extraordinary virtues even, but mm. are completely unknown across thousands of years of history. Yeah. Right? What does that say yeah. to our pretensions? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of um, uh, The Great Divorce. There's a great scene. I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast as well. One of my favorite scenes from all of C.S. Lewis's writing um, is there is a scene in the afterlife where one of the characters who's going through purg- purgatory sees this woman approaching, like this angelic naked woman with angels serving her and things like that. And he asks his guide, you know, is that, I think the suggestion is, is that the Blessed Virgin kind of thing? And he's like, no, it's this ordinary woman from mm. down the street um, and she she made every child in her neighbourhood her child she was kind to her animals. She cooked food for people that didn't have it, but she just lived a normal life. Mm. And it's just like, like it brings me to tears every time I yeah, think about yeah. it. But it's just this idea of this person who lived an unpretentious life of service mm-hmm. at, from the perspective of heaven is the greatest um, uh, angelic figure that you could imagine. And, and this is a story that could have been that, yeah. right? Could have been yeah. in utter obscurity as so many would have been mm. in this context. I mean, I think we're going to finish, but the mm. last thing I just, I mean, I, I the other thing it just made me think about was the nature of conscience. I'm not going to go on mm. about this at length because we should round up, but um, how, whether we can actually understand mm. and comprehend and act like Francis mm. 
or whether we have difficulty in comprehending it. We can, I think, when we're faced with Nazis, when we see Nazis and so on. And but the sheer, but the idea that you see displayed on this film, the oppressiveness of somebody, their coherence of values mm. split asunder. You know, split yeah. into competition between the family loyalty to one's village, loyalty to yeah. one's God and so on. And, and, you know, I think this is something that I think is increasingly difficult to understand. If you just take a very simple example, even just various forms of conscientious objection. Mm. So the environmentalist who chains himself to the mm. um, mining equipment through yeah. to the person who doesn't want to participate in abortions mm. or euthanasia and so on. Yeah. There is a generally an impulse towards flattening out these things to say that you can't recognize you you don't you don't want to privilege someone mm. and recognize this. Everybody has their conscientious mm. moments. You know, one theorist talks about conscience of the libertarian drug taker. <sighs> Another one talks about the conscience of choosing your relationship mm. therapist as the equivalent, and mm. these things being equivalent, right? But I think what this film does, it actually then provides an interesting, and you feel it, that sheer oppression of what yeah. does it mean when those values are rendered into competition by a tyrant. Yeah, and you're asked to um, betray those things th mm. through the utterance of an oath. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that our culture would find unintelligible. An oath. An yeah. oath being significant. Right. Um, uh, yeah, because our words just don't mean that much <laughs> um, anymore. Um we're out of time. Please go see the film. Uh, it'll probably be out on streaming relatively uh, soon. Uh, it's a beautiful, wonderful meditation, especially for Lent, I think. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Um, please like us on Facebook. Please follow us on Twitter at UCAT, that's E-U-C-A-T underscore podcast. Um, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to us. Share us around with your friends and also drop us a review if you haven't already because that really helps us to get the exposure um, through algorithms and things like that. We're going to take a week off as we research and write up our next three episodes. Um, so we'll see you in a week or so. Bye. Bye.